It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I'm your host, Jason Breifel. Uh, today, I'm joined by a panel of guests representing federal employee organizations, um, and we're going to be talking about uh, uh, looking back at 2015 and providing some predictions for what the, the workforce and the government might see in 2016 from the administration and uh, Capitol Hill. Um, I'm happy to be joined by the dynamic legislative duo <laughs> from the National Active uh, and Retired Federal Employees Association. Their legislative director, Jessica Clement, is joining us via phone. And in the studio with me is the deputy legislative director, John Hatton. Uh, we're also joined this morning by the Washington representative for the Professional Managers Association, Nikki Cannon. Thank you all for being here with us this morning. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Um, and before we dive into our conversation this morning, I'd love to remind our guests that Fed Talk is brought to you by Long-Term Care Partners. Long-Term Care Partners administers the Office of Personnel Management-sponsored federal long-term care insurance program. Um, well, as I mentioned, uh, Happy New Year to you all and Happy New Year to all of our listeners out there. Uh, before we dive into our conversation about what our organizations will be uh looking at working on in, in 2016, uh, let's take a look back at, at 2015 and, and how that shaped out for, for your organizations and, and the workforce writ large. Uh, we, we ended the year uh, avoiding a shutdown and uh, with a two-year budget deal. Uh, what did that budget deal contain for, for feds? Jesse, could you uh, explain that a little bit for us? Sure, Jason, and thank you so much for having NARF on the program. I will be using that dynamic duo uh, comment frequently, so thanks for that. Um, I think to take a look back at the budget deal that Congress passed at the end of the year, we need to go back and start at the beginning of 2015, and we saw a fiscal year 2016 budget from a new budget chairman, Tom Price of Georgia, that contained $318 billion in cuts to the federal community. For the first time in recent years, at least in recent history, the budget took aim at not only federal employees, but also federal retirees, as well as substantive changes to the Postal Service and its employees and retirees. So we started this year at $318 billion in cuts to our community, and we ended with not one of those cuts being signed into law. The two-year budget deal set the budget limits for the next two fiscal years, offset sequestration cuts by $80 billion, and contained a fix for Medicare Part B beneficiaries who were facing a huge increase, um, which I will let my colleagues speak about, without taking anything from the federal community. Yeah, that, that's right. On the Part B issue, um, because there was no cost of living adjustment to Social Security going into 2016, 
uh, a large number of Part B beneficiaries were going to be held harmless from an increase. The downside of that is that for the people who aren't held harmless, which included federal retirees uh, who didn't pay their premiums out of their Social Security checks because they didn't have one because they worked their entire career in the federal service, uh, they would have been paying a significant amount more, 50 percent more in premiums. Uh, we were able to get a fix that didn't hold them harmless completely, uh, but only gave them the increase in premiums they would have had had this hold harmless clause uh, not been into effect. Uh, and the way it was paid for was with a essentially a loan uh, to the Part B account uh, that's going to be paid back over five years with a surcharge. So it went from instead of a 50% increase to about a 15% increase. And so people are saving close to $500 a year in 2016 because of that. And I know that that was uh, not only a, a big accomplishment for the, the federal community, but other retirees around the country that would have been uh, affected by that that, that provision. And uh, I wanted to go back to what, what Jesse uh, mentioned regarding the workforce that uh, coming into the year last year, um, there there was a pretty big target on the backs of feds and many proposals that, that were floated that uh, would have continued uh, having feds pay for um, various aspects of, of other programs and priorities in Congress. And, uh, and ultimately, uh, none of those uh, came to pass. And I think that uh, uh, the, there's a, um, a recognition that should go to not only the organizations represented here, uh, but the uh, entire federal community that's uh, represented in part by the Federal Postal Coalition that, that, that the groups here on the show are, are part of that that spent significant effort not only this year but over the past several years um, pushing back on these these proposals um, and and building a, a, a more of a consensus up on the hill um, that that crossed party lines that some of these uh, proposals just didn't make sense if we in the long run are going to have a government that is uh, staffed to the levels and and compensated at the levels that that we need to attract retain. Um, and develop the employees that, that we need to carry out the missions that, that Congress ultimately assigns to federal agencies. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, I think there's a drumbeat of, of messaging, both from organizations, lobbying efforts, and uh, the members of all the organizations that, you know, we've given enough. Uh, there's been over, you know, $120 billion in deficit reduction previously over the last five years, given from the federal community. So I think uh, that message was really driven home and, and received by members of Congress so that they didn't, you know, take up these $318 billion in cuts. And uh, in addition to, to avoiding the, those cuts, um, many feds around the country, uh, over 100,000 feds are going to be benefiting from a locality pay adjustment for the first time uh, in many years, I believe, since since 2010. Um, and uh, I think that was a, a pretty big deal. The, the president issued an, an alternative plan for m implementing that. But uh, uh, it's nice to see folks uh, finally seeing a little bit of an adjustment in their, their pocketbooks that was uh, going into an effect in their first paychecks of this year. Yeah. Agreed. I think a lot of um, feds are lamenting another year of a very small raise, 1.3% on average, after 1% pay raises the last two years and then a three-year pay freeze. But I agree with you, Jason. Um, locality pay coming back for the first time, I think since the first year of the pay freeze. So you were right. Last year, locality pay would have been um, implemented was 2010. The locality pay is meant to compensate federal employees um, who work in areas that have a lot um, where their salaries may lag behind their private sector counterparts, also, you know, which typically tend to be your high cost of living 
areas, Washington, D.C., San Francisco, Chicago, Boston, L.A., I think a lot of folks um, are, are pleased for the additional adjustment this year. Absolutely. And, uh, and I know for Nikki, for, for PMA members, uh, many of your folks are in uh, those, those service centers and, and processing centers that, that happen to be sometimes in those, those high-cost areas. So, so that was seen as a positive thing by, by your members. Is that correct? Yeah, um, we definitely uh, appreciate the attention to, to this issue. Um, you know, obviously with the, the pay raise, we're hoping for something maybe a little bit larger next year, but the locality pay issue was definitely high on our list, and we're very pleased with uh, the outcome. Um, wonderful. Um, bef- before we uh, dive into in our next segment uh, a, c- a conversation about uh, 2016, were there any other uh, big issues uh, that were worth uh, taking note of before we uh, wrap this section up uh, discussing 2015 that any of you all wanted to uh, hit on here? Well, I mean, I think Jesse covered it all, but I think to really harp on the fact uh, that we got some positives, not just avoiding the negatives. You know, sequestration was offset for two years as, as part of that budget deal. Um, and then just kind of some of the specific threats that emerged um, and how quickly we were able to get rid of them, spe- specifically um, the proposal to reduce the rate of return on the G phone and the highway bill. Um, it was kind of proposed, and then within a week, I think it was pretty much you know out of the discussion. So I think it was just a really success- successful year on many fronts. Absolutely. Jason, I think there's one other thing worth mentioning, um, one thing that you cannot avoid talking about, and though, that is the two data breaches at OPM, which are still on the minds of many. I know some only recently received their letters in the last few weeks, letting them know that they were impacted by the second data breach. Um, but the budget deal that passed at the end of the year also contained an extension in identity theft protection from, you know, one and a half years or three years, depending on which breach you were impacted by, to an addition to a total of 10 years. Um, so now those folks impacted by the two breaches will have 10 years of coverage. Um, I think that um, was another way to end, to end kind of a negative year uh, on a positive note, you know, making the best of, of a bad situation. Absolutely, and and thanks so much for for mentioning that. Um, of course, that was a, a huge issue that affected everybody who who has worked or who who um, cont- continues to work for the the government. And and the fallout from those uh, data breaches will will continue for for many years. I'm I'm sure, but it's it's nice that that there was the uh, the extension of that coverage. To provide folks uh, the peace of mind, and, and I know many organizations wanted uh, to see a longer period of protection. Some organizations' lifetime, but but I think that you're right that that was a uh, a, a nice uh, additional piece uh, to cap off the the year within that in that deal. Um, and with that, we're going to to wrap up this portion of our conversation, looking back on 2015. And after the break, we'll discuss our uh, organization's priorities for for 2016, and later in the program, some predictions for the year. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. 
Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Today we're featuring a panel of uh, federal employee advocates from the uh, National Association, National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association, excuse me, as well as the Professional Managers Association. And uh, uh, I'll also be putting on my uh, additional hat here uh, through my role as the legislative director for the Senior Executives Association in a bit uh, as we talk about some of the areas that our organizations are going to be uh, focusing on in uh, 2016 and some of the, the priority areas that we'll be looking out for uh, up on the Hill. Um, a conversation that's been going around uh, Congress for the past several years is uh, um, various aspects and elements of, of civil service reform, um, and it's largely been focused on um, um, what some of our groups might characterize as more punitive measures that might make it easier to uh, terminate, remove, demote, or otherwise discipline employees. Um, but uh, we know that there's going to be a markup in the House Oversight Committee next week that, that takes on some of those, and then there's some bills percolating in the Senate that we might see uh, later this year that uh, focus on some of these issues. Um, Nikki, what is uh, PMA going to be uh, looking at with regards to some of these civil service proposals, and, and what are some of your priority areas there? You know, I think every year there's a, there's an aspect of playing uh, defense, um, but we're going to be out uh, providing feedback on how to strengthen the civil service. I think at the top of our list right now, um, kind of reshaping paid administrative leave, uh, the probationary period, and supervisor training. So there's a couple bills coming up in the markup that you just talked about for next week and in the Senate uh, that will address all of those areas. Um, I think we're going to be working uh, closely with folks up on the Hill to try and and get the most out of this. For us, paid administrative leave, you know, it's a short-term use. Uh, You're seeing in the press right now a lot of focus on these extended administrative leave cases, and it's just a a wasteful spending at this point, um, an infringement on the rights of employees for due process. And for us at the IRS in particular, you know, the mission is to enforce our tax laws, collect taxes, conduct audits. All of this requires necessary funding and personnel to ensure that we're able to conduct this business. And when we put people out for extended periods of time, it's wastes agencies, valuable resources and manpower that we need. Absolutely. Thanks, Nikki. I think that's a, a great point. And uh, we at SEA will also be be working at those on those issues as well. And, and I think uh, um to us, it's a, a positive indication that, that Congress is focusing on some of these um, very basic issues of management, but that have a big impact on the government, whether it is uh, how agencies are, are using their employees with regards to administrative leave, how agencies are uh, making the best use of the probationary period, whether that is for new hires or for new supervisors or new executives for that matter, um, but also making sure that um, employees at all levels receive their training, but particularly at the managerial level uh, when we have folks who oftentimes are uh, good technicians who are put into managerial roles, we need to provide them the the support and training and development that they need to be successful in those roles. Um, and we've been glad to see there's uh, some focus up on the Hill to, to some of these um, uh, areas that might not get a lot of press um, back at home because they're, uh, it's not a scandal, mm-hmm. uh, it's not something going wrong, but uh, hopefully uh, we're hopeful that by focusing on some of these areas, we can reduce some of the number of those, those scandals uh, and uh, mismanagement issues that, that we sometimes see pop up in the government. 
Yeah, and Jason, I, I, I think you're right. Far too often, um, and we've, we've seen this over the last few years, members of Congress tend to legislate based on headlines. Um, and whenever there is a quote-unquote scandal at a federal agency, members of Congress are very quick to write legislation and move it through so they can show they are doing something to combat this, you know, quote-unquote problem. But that legislation is also... Um, tends to be not as strong as it could be because of the rush to get it done, to show their constituents that they're doing something about it. And very rarely do people stop to ask, hey, was this actually a scandal? Is there a problem at this agency? Does this legislation tackle the root of the problem? And I think you're right in saying a lot of this does tend to come down to management training um, and putting managers into positions of supervisory responsibilities and then not giving them the tools or teaching them how to manage their employees. Yeah, and I think uh, the thing with the supervisory training, it focuses more on overall performance management than it does just on uh, eliminating the worst actors, which I think you've seen in some of the VA reforms. And some, some, of, these issues, some of these bills coming out of the Senate particularly seem to be a little more common sense and a little bit less punitive. So they're taking and not trying to undermine the due process rights of federal employees, but try to, try to provide a better process, particularly, you know, if you look at administrative leave, um, just trying to make sure there's nobody in limbo between, you know, not being at work and not having the rights uh, to challenge the actions against them. So, but I think particularly with regard to supervisor training, you really want to look at it holistically. How are you getting the most out of your employees? How are you rewarding good employees? And that goes down to good management training and telling them how to distinguish between the two. And I think, Jason, you really hit it, uh, hit the nail on the head there with who goes into these tracks um, in, in as a supervisor. And it's selecting the right people from the beginning who can implement these supervisory duties and really giving them the tools to succeed and looking at it from a, uh, a front into perspective. So, absolutely, and and you know, uh, as as an organization that's been heavily involved with with some of the the legislation that's that's focused on the the VA workforce, at, at least as it pertains to not only senior executives but but other employees, we do see um, that from the senior executives' perspective, uh, senior executives' association perspective, of uh, a kind of test case for the rest of the civil service, and, and many members of Congress have. Uh, stated as such, and uh, some of the lack of action that we've seen thus far from the the oversight committee in the House, as well as the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee in the Senate, the two committees that typically deal with work, uh, legislation covering the, the the workforce writ large, um, they've been they've been kind of letting the VA committees uh, have a little bit of rope to to kind of test out some of these these statutes and these ideas to see if it can can help that agency um, get past some of the issues it's it's had recently. Um, but at the same time, you're right. we we do, um, from our perspective, want that legislation to be effective and and actually get at um, the root of what some of these issues are uh, as opposed to some uh, some symptoms. and uh, that's that's the message that we frequently can convey on the hill. and uh, um, sometimes it's received um, better than than other times. Yeah. Jason, I think you're absolutely right. I think that SES has really been a test case for the rest of the federal government, and I would urge your listeners who aren't SESers to pay attention to what Congress does with that cadre of individuals, because the very next step is to do so for the rest of the federal workforce. And I think employees, particularly at the Veterans Affairs Department, are getting caught off guard with now what Congress wants, um, the actions that Congress wants to take as it relates to the VA employees, which is 
exactly what they did to SESers and President Obama signed into law in 2014. Um, in particular, I'm curious if you have any thoughts or feedback on the SES bill moving through committee next week um, for all the reasons you previously mentioned. This could happen to the rest of the federal workforce. Um, yeah, thank, thanks, Jesse. I, I appreciate that. Um, we, we are looking at uh, reviewing the, that uh, legislation that's going to be dropped by Mr. Wahlberg, um, who is on the committee. Uh, he introduced uh, an SES reform bill last session, and, and this bill does have some, some changes um, since, since the last time around. So we want to make sure that we're providing actionable feedback um, to the committee. And, and, and there are some, some positive pieces that, that have been based on feedback that, that we've provided. But, but again, there are um, other areas that, that we do see as not being particularly helpful. And I think that um, some, of, some of the legislation that we see, whether it's related to um, executives or dealing with uh, whistleblower issues and creating distinct um, reporting processes and obligations for managers up the chain of command and things of that nature. Um, while we absolutely believe that whistleblowers should be um, protected and taken care of when when they are legitimate whistleblowers, um, that w- we, it's in some regards some of the legislation we're seeing may be creating an environment um, for for managers and executives that. That it makes their job very difficult, if not sometimes impossible, to accomplish, and 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 there's some concern there about what that means for federal agencies being able to accomplish their missions and do their jobs. And um, while that that is a a, a pretty kind of simple and straightforward uh, construct and and perspective. Um, how that gets communicated and reflected in legislation is something that I think is an, an ongoing process. And, and as you mentioned, um, I, I think that um, many federal employees might uh, say, well, that's just going to affect that group of employees. That's not going to affect us. Um, but, but as we saw this um, last summer, um, the House did pass um, on, a, on a bipartisan measure, um, H.R. 1994, a bill that would expand several of the onerous provisions at the VA that were applied to senior executives following the scandal in Phoenix in 2014 um, to the entire workforce. Um, and, and we worked closely with, with AFG and other organizations uh, to push back against that legislation, understanding that it does present a dangerous precedent for, for the entire workforce. Um, and we're hopeful to, to find more opportunities this year to, to shape legislation on the Hill um, that can positively address some of these issues um, that we see, um, but, but in a realistic way and, and really getting at um, kind of the, the root of the problem that we see. And, and, we're, and we're hopeful that that um, perspective is, is uh, uh, desired up on the Hill. Um, with well, before we dive into uh, a little bit more conversation about uh, focus areas for this year, we've we've talked a lot about civil service reform. I know there's some some other areas that that might pop through. Um, we're going to take our next break. We are listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM. 
Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal manager, you deal with a lot of information. Here's a tip on breaking through the noise. Join the Federal Managers Association to have a voice on Capitol Hill. And to get filtered news and information specific to managing your workforce, join the 50,000 other federal managers who already subscribe and read the free weekly e-report, fedmanager.com. I'm Todd Wells, Executive Director of the Federal Managers Association, and I approve this message. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Uh, I'm joined today by a panel of federal workforce advocates, and we're talking about some um, predictions and areas of focus for, for 2016. Prior to the break, we were talking about uh, some potential action on uh, civil service issues, um, likely not full-scale civil service reform. There doesn't appear to be uh, an appetite or desire to, to take on the, the whole beast, but maybe some, some pieces there. But, but outside of, 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 of civil service reform, um, there are some issues that, that our groups are uh, uh, looking at this year that, that, that have some potential, or at least they're perennial issues that, that Congress has been um, – thinking about for many years but hasn't taken uh, action on just yet. And, and one of those issues is uh, is postal reform, which right. uh, at the moment uh, the bill dropped by uh, Senator Carper, the ranking member of the uh, Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee in the Senate, um, has introduced that bill. He's been taking the lead in that chamber. Uh, John, can you provide us a little bit of uh, information on where, where is postal reform at the moment? Sure. Well, the Senator Carper's bill right now isn't going to go anywhere. Um, it's not going to be taken up by the committee until something happens on the House side. Uh, Senator Johnson has made it clear he doesn't have an appetite to do that unless it has a real chance of getting through to passage. So, And you're not going to have that chance unless you can find some bipartisan consensus in the House. So right now, leadership in House uh, Oversight and Government Reform, uh, Chairman Chaffetz, Ranking Member, member Cummings, um, as well as uh, Congressman Connolly and Meadows are all working together, and those are the subcommittee chairs on the issue, uh, are working together to try to form a bill. Um, we don't know exactly where that is at, but we know they're working and talking together. And we know there are some holdups, um, and particularly on one of the issues that we are concerned about. Um, so you're going to need to see the House come up with a bill, pass it, and move it over to the Senate before I think the Senate takes up Carper's bill. But I think they will take a lot of the ideas that are in Carper's bill, and that will be influential in the process because people understand that has incorporates a number of ideas that are likely to be part of a final uh, bill that passes and goes to the president, if that's possible. I think the chances are still very low, um, but I think it's possible, and we could see movement on that this year. Uh, with regard to the one issue that's, I think, holding it up to some extent, and there might be a number of issues, but uh, one of the issues is um, mandatory Medicare Part B enrollment for postal retirees. And we have a lot of postal retiree members who made the decision not to take Part B. They're happy with their FHBP. They, won't, they don't want that added cost of an extra premium, even if they are getting some uh, reduced out-of-pocket costs. So um, we're trying to work with the staff there to try to come up with an alternative solution that still provides choice for the postal retirees. 
uh, particularly working with Congressman Connolly to make sure our, our concerns are addressed, and he's been great. Um, so we'll see. Uh, the other issue within postal reform that we have concerns with that probably won't be in the oversight and government reform um, side of the equation because the jurisdiction lies with Ed and Workforce in the House is um, reductions in federal employees' uh, Compensation Act benefits. So if you get injured on the job, you get certain benefits and pay, and the Senate bill would reduce those benefits at retirement age. Uh, we have some significant concerns that that reduces the amount somebody would get in retirement um, from what they would have gotten if they hadn't been injured. Absolutely. And the FICA issue is one that, that Congress has also been dealing with for several years. And in fact, there was, a, I believe, a bill that, that passed the House a couple of years ago, a bipartisan bill in, in 2011. And, and there were several hearings on that that have informed uh, a letter that um, not only NARF individually, but a, a, a significant member of the Federal Postal Coalition had sent a letter up to the, the president in advance of his um, budget submission asking that uh, he not include in his budget, as he has for the past seven years, uh, provisions related to reducing FICA benefits. Yeah. Actually, ironically, in the House, the bipartisan bill that passed, um, it was bipartisan and was a lot tamer than the bill that was included in postal form in the Senate. So, um, But the Senate didn't want to take it up because as they saw it as a substitute for the more drastic reforms they wanted. So the House bill that passed a, a couple of years ago just had basically had program integrity measures, and it went to look at the you know what the what the level of benefits were at retirement age. Um, on the Senate side, it's continually been part of postal reform uh, because at the time, this is now I think two or three Congresses ago, when Senator Collins, who's really been the champion of these FICA reform measures, um, made sure that got included in postal reform that then passed the Senate but never got a vote in the House. It's then that same provision has carried over to previous uh, to subsequent postal reform legislation introduced by Carper um, or others. So um, I think Coburn last year with Carper's consent and, and support. So that continues to be in there, and, but it hasn't moved anywhere. Um, and those proposals are very similar to proposals that have come out of the Department of Labor. And so one of the things we've been fighting is that people say, look, the administration supports this as well. Well, this is a proposal that came from the Bush administration and just got carried over from the Obama administration. We don't think they've really looked at it that closely. And on all the hearings that have been done on it, it's been really pointed out that, you know, look, GAO looks at this and sees it as a bad proposal um, that would reduce people's retirement age benefits below what they should be. Um, and so we really want the president, before this budget proposal comes out, uh, to take a look at that again and hopefully remove it. Yeah, and well, I guess we'll end up seeing what happens there. And it, and it sounds like between Postal and FICA that there's a lot of uh, moving parts and complex issues still at play. So we'll we'll, we'll just uh, put that in the wait and see category. Yeah, I think we have to wait until something's proposed by the House. Absolutely. Uh, outside of that space, are there any other uh, areas that your group see as having some some potential for movement this year? Anything that could be positive for the for the workforce? Well, Jason, um, as was reported actually just before this phone call, it looks like the House will not be taking up any big ticket items in 2016. This isn't 
necessarily surprising. It's an election year. The recesses are frequent, are more frequent and longer than in a non-election year. I think um, considering that the Republicans hold control of both the House and Senate, it is going to be easier to move big ticket items if there is a Republican in the White House next year as those you know, congressional Republicans are hoping for. So no big surprise that there are going to be no big ticket items moving through Congress, at least as we can predict right now in 2016. So that means we don't have the threats to our pay and benefits that we've had in the past. Any big ticket items that have substantial costs, uh, Ted to, to use federal employees, federal retirees, postal service as the quote-unquote pay-for. Pay um, you need to offset the cost of the bill. Look to the federal community. While I still think that uh, the House budget will likely contain the same 18, $318 billion in cuts that last year's budget did, without those big-ticket items, those individual provisions are less likely to move. So this does provide us an opportunity to be a little bit more proactive, push some good government, maybe positive benefit changes in a year where hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, less attention is being paid uh, to using the federal community as a pay-for. Um, I think one of the things that NARF is going to be looking at in particular is a reform bill introduced by Representative Brady from the state of Texas as it relates to the windfall elimination provision. Very wonky, very technical, um, and therefore I will turn it over to my colleague to give you a little bit more information on that. Sure, I'll do my best. Um, so at first a little background on what the windfall elimination provision is, and that's wonky in and of itself. Uh, basically it's a reduction in Social Security benefits uh, for individuals who have uh, a certain amount of non-covered earnings, and that applies to federal retirees under the old civil service retirement system. It also applies to some state government and local government retirees if their system does not have them also covered by Social Security. Um, so the windfall elimination provision, we'll call it WEP from now on, um, would reduce those benefits based on that to try to make it more like a progressive progressive payout formula that Social Security is. Um, just it has to do with the details of how Social Security benefits are calculated, uh, which I won't go into but because it's, mm -hmm. it's complicated. Um, um, but it's still an unfair reduction. And so Congressman Brady, who's from Texas, who is from one of those states that um, has state and local government retirees affected, uh, has had a bill uh, for a number of years um, that looked to address this. This year, the bill is slightly different, and it's different in a very substantial way, particularly for um, chances of passage on Capitol Hill. It's cost neutral now, and it includes a provision that would increase enforcement of uh, the, the windfall elimination provision among state and local government retirees. Uh, for some of them, they didn't have good earnings data. Now they do um, through Medicare, so they have good Medicare earnings data, which allows Social Security to better enforce WEP, but they're not right now. So they would use some of the savings from that to then reduce the WEP penalty for current retirees, um, people who turn 62 before 2017. Going into the future, they would create a new formula for people who turn 62 after 2017. Um, the amount of the reduction in the WEP penalty for those older individuals is going to be totally based on the amount of savings they get from the increased enforcement. Um, so in that way, it's perfectly cost neutral. Um, so we can't really estimate exactly how much, but it's going to be limited at 
at a 50% reduction in the wet penalty. Um, so that could be really good news uh, for federal retirees. Uh, before we see exact numbers on, on how much, we don't want to get people's hopes up for a huge reduction in the wet penalty and a big increase in Social Security benefits. I think at most it would be $200 a month, but that's definitely substantial. Um, but it could be a lot less. And so we certainly don't want to p- promise people the moon and then have them be disappointed by what, what happens. But Congressman Brady now is the chair of the Ways and Means Committee. So in addition to the bill being cost neutral, he's now in a position to move this bill forward. So we hope that maybe this year we have a chance. Yeah, and I know that this is an issue that that many organizations have had on their agenda for many years um, because of their CSRS um, members who who are affected by by this issue and uh, the bill that you mentioned from from Representative Brady uh, HR seven eleven um, d- does have pretty significant bipartisan backing mm-hmm. as you mentioned um, many members um, from states that that are affected by this um, uh, are, are signed on and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there especially to the extent that there's a, a possibility of of benefiting many um, CSRS retirees um, mm-hmm. going forward. Uh, aside from that issue, um, any other areas that, that your organizations are uh, focusing on or um, hoping to start conversations about um, as, as as this year, uh, as Jesse mentioned, sounds like will be much more of a uh, messaging and setting things up perhaps for the next president and the next Congress? Um, any conversations that you're hoping to foster or, or, or things along those lines? Yeah, I mean, we want to follow up on the Medicare Part B fix that was included in this last budget deal. Um, If there's no cost of living adjustment in 2017, the same fix applies. Um, But if it's the case where there's a very small cost of living adjustment, you're still going to have a lot of people held harmless and no solution in the legislation. It's only triggered if there's no cost of living adjustment at all. And then just going forward in the future, we don't want that same situation to happen because it's still in law. So we're going to try to... um, you know, work on a proactive approach to that and see if we can get ahead of the solution, ahead of the problem on that issue. That sounds like a good strategy. We often, uh, it often seems that the Capitol Hill will wait till there's a, <laughs> a, a crisis at, at the last minute. You know, you didn't really hear much about um, this this issue uh, with regards to the, the Medicare premiums until the, the COLAs were announced towards the end of the, the year. And then it, it became clear that um, veterans, retirees, uh, other folks um, who, who uh, do uh, benefit from from that kind of adjustment um, would would be kind of left out uh, in the cold and uh, and not see an adjustment at a time when when costs of living still are actually rising for many people. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, it's it's nice to hear that that you'll be working on on trying to keep that momentum going and keeping folks thinking about that topic. Uh, especially as the country continues to uh, pull out of the, the economic crisis and, and the low interest rates that, that feed into uh, partially the, the depressed cost of living adjustments that we've seen over the past several years here. Yeah. Well, will you guys be working on anything over at SEA particularly? Uh, we will be. Um, in addition to uh, working on the Hill with uh, the, the slew of legislative uh, uh, activity that we uh, expect to see in, in the first few months, perhaps not, not much beyond that down the line, uh, we'll be closely working with uh, the administration and helping uh, 
craft and provide feedback and guidance on the implementation of the executive order um, for the senior executive service that the president issued at the, the end of December. Um, there were some provisions that re- called for uh, uh, graduated implementation over time, but other provisions that um, will be enacted immediately. Um, some of those include um, ensuring that um, when somebody gets promoted into the SES, that they get a meaningful pay adjustment um, and that they aren't making less than some of their subordinates, was, which is an issue that research we've done uh, found that uh, sometimes 25, as much as 25% of executives were making less than their subordinate uh, GS-15 counterparts. Um, and, and part of that um, speaks to uh, the issue we were talking about earlier with regards to, to civil service reform or, or, or SES reform um, in looking at the, uh, the, the compensation structure that we uh, have in the government and uh, making sure that it's equitable and, and ensuring that the, the risk-reward uh, uh, um, package that we're, we're offering employees is, is adequate to incentivize uh, top performers at any level to, to aspire to either join management or, or someday hopefully join uh, the executive core. Um, the government is increasingly dealing with complex issues that, that cross boundaries. And um, part of the, the executive order includes uh, developmental rotations and assignments and things of that nature that can help people get that multi, multidisciplinary um, experience, multi-agency experience that can um, hopefully provide some connective tissue that that sometimes doesn't exist between uh, our various silos of excellence in the government um, and and help break down some of those walls to to help the government truly operate as a as an enterprise. Um, and and I think part of that, and um, this is something that SCA works with our our partners in in the government managers coalition on, um, uh, which would include PMA, is is focusing on more holistic talent management and succession planning. Um, you know, Congress does have laws on the books already um, that agencies are supposed to be doing um, talent management, understanding what retirements are looking like, what gaps might might need to be filled down the pipeline. Um, and some agencies are are doing a great job with that, and and others aren't. And um, part of that is uh, speaks to the the funding issue in terms of making sure that agencies do provide. Uh, training and developmental opportunities to their employees. And uh, one of the things that we frequently see is when when budget times are tight, those areas are the first to get cut out because they're not specifically appropriated. And I think that we'll um, be uh, working with uh, the administration as well as uh, appropriators to to see if there's some appetite for for investment in the workforce um, at all levels. Um, Because we don't see this as just being an, an SES exclusive issue. Um, this is something that's important for the entire workforce. Uh, we should be investing in all of our employees and providing them the opportunities and aut- autonomy to, to do their jobs and excel and, and rewarding them appropriately when they are able to do that. And I think you're 100% right, Jason. Um, this year, uh, you know, as Jesse mentioned, there are more frequent recesses. It is an election year, but it is an opportunity to kind of get in there and talk to folks, test the waters, see what people are looking for for broader reforms so that we can make the government a place where people want to, ha- to come uh, and be employed. Um, this is a great opportunity for us to look at these these bigger picture issues and see where we can, can start a conversation and maybe get to some movement in the upcoming years. Yeah, I mean, I think um, 
I, I, th I think for sure the 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 dynamics of the election year are going to drive a lot of what's going on, and they're mm -hmm. going to keep us busy. Even if they're, you know, there's still going to be a presidential budget, there's still going to be congressional budgets, and we're still going to have to, you know, support the things we like in them and oppose the things we don't. Even though there's already a budget deal setting forth the caps for this year, um, you know, and they just have to fill in the gaps. So there's going to be a lot of messaging related work. Um, and members of our, of our organization, you know, we want them to tell Congress if they're putting forth a proposal and voting on it that they don't like that and make it clear that they don't. Um, so it is still important to kind of make our voice heard in, in that thing. And, and then second, you know, aside from that, we can't predict everything that's going to happen this year. You know, we wouldn't have been able to predict that there was going to be this massive OPM data breach and that we're going to be dealing with that and the and the fallout from that um, at the beginning of last year. So um, there are going to be a whole host of things that could pop up um, because events out of our control. Yeah, I think John really hit on something um, when you as a federal employee, you know, our members, folks out in the federal workforce, when you hear something that you don't feel comfortable with, you don't like coming out of your member's office to be as engaged as possible uh, and get in there, get on the phone and make sure that they know that this is not good for the agency. It's not good for the workforce and it's not good for the country overall. And I think that, that you know, I, I frequently say that on this program, um, it's it's wonderful that that there are organizations like NARF, like PMA, like SCA, like uh, like other employee organizations uh, out there who can advocate on your behalf. But but it's also important for listeners to remember that that your constituents um, who who have uh, the ability to um, and uh, are able to reach out to your members and, and let them know what you think. It's it's not a Hatch Act violation. It's okay to communicate with your member of Congress. Um, and in fact, to the extent that they hear from you and enough of your colleagues in their district, those things are noticed. And and I just think that that's an important thing for us to, to think about and, and our listeners to think about as it relates to some of these proposals we see um, going into this year. As And uh, we'll finish up our conversation and and talk about uh, election year politics a bit and, and perhaps even the, the State of the Union that, that's going to be occurring next week uh, after our final break. And a word from our sponsor. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We're now in the last segment of our show. Uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, some areas uh, that we are, are hoping to see some movement on and, and perhaps some areas that will uh, need some additional time to, uh, to, to sit on the burner and, and continue cooking and stewing uh, up on Capitol Hill and in the administration. Um, but it was mentioned a few times in this show that uh, – um, you know, this this year will likely be on Capitol Hill a year largely of uh, of political bills and messaging bills. Um, although we may see some 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 true legislative activity, and uh, if if a, a a strange situation like the OPM hack or something arises, Congress will will, will surely um, pay attention to that and and respond accordingly. Um, but but is there a, a a unique way that that your organizations have to approach? 
um, the political environment in in an election year, particularly a presidential election year, is that different than other years, or is it is it the same uh, same situation and just a, a little bit different of a framework? Jason, I think it's large. It's largely the same. You know, we are a nonpartisan organization, as is, as are many of the organizations that represent federal employees and retirees and postal employees and retirees. So. Election years, you know, from the standpoint of our members, mean a lot more activity. More recesses means there's more opportunities to meet with their members of Congress and candidates for office at a grassroots level. But in terms of the messaging for, you know, for us, it's it's largely the same. Yeah, I think that's right. I was going to say the only real difference is that the extent that we, you know, lead our members to engage in, you know, grassroots activities related to the election or, you know, political activities related to the election, but the messaging, exactly. Uh, same. Yeah, I think for us, you know, PMA uh, is largely within the IRS, so um, there's increased scrutiny uh, when it comes to the IRS, so there is always kind of a, a tiptoeing around the messaging when talking to folks, uh, but it is, it's a talking point that folks do like to take back home to their constituents, so... It's a little bit harder, but uh, you know, it's it's still it's an uphill battle that we I think we all face every year. And and absolutely, you know, you you kind of hit it on the head. The the IRS might be a, a kind of perennial whipping boy. You know, no one particularly likes paying their taxes. Some people more <laughs> more than others, but but uh, some of the the heightened scrutiny in recent years, uh, whether it's at the IRS, the VA, um, even GSA, and some others that uh, reflect kind of the. The continued fallout that some scandals that sometimes happened many years ago um, continue to to affect agencies and agency operations and uh, by extension employees who work at those organizations um, for many years to come. And uh, for example, you know, the, I know that the IRS is down thousands of employees, and that's that's really stretching the organization and delivering on on its mission. And, and other organizations are feeling similar crunches that uh, Congress is 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 taking advantage of its reins through the the appropriations process to uh, to make a statement to those organizations. Yeah, you know, to to kick it back to 2015 for a moment, you know, we got a modest funding increase, uh, but unfortunately, it's specifically designated. So it's tied to certain spaces and the commissioner won't be able to allocate it in places where he feels the need to to boost funding there. So while we did see a slight increase, it's still the politics of it are still to put it into spaces that uh, best benefit those individuals. Great. And, uh, you know, as as we enter the the final few few minutes here, are there any predictions from from any of you of of what additional actions or or any new ideas we we might see either from the Hill um, or from um, the president's administration in his in his last year, or are we expecting uh, more of largely the same? Uh, Jesse, any any final thoughts? Jason, I think making predictions on what this Congress might do, <laughs> what this president might do, and what may happen on the campaign trail is really just setting me up to be wrong at some point in the future. So I'm not going to do that. Um, But I think based on everything we talked about here today, this is going to be a year where, as you previously mentioned, there's going to be a lot of political messaging. Something's going to get said on the campaign trail over and over and over again. And members of Congress are going to feel they need to do something about it. I think we'll see more standalone bills on the House floor in terms of a particular message that 
even if it does make it over to the Senate, it would never get signed into law by this president. So I expect a very active campaign season, probably not so active legislative season. And that's that's as far as I'm going to go with the predictions this time. <laughs> yeah, 100%, Jesse. Um, <laughs> it's definitely going to be the year of messaging. Uh, but, you know, as we've talked about, it is a year to get in there and pick people's brains, kind of get in and, and plant some seeds on how we can move forward uh, and pass some some good legislation later down the road. Yeah, and, and even in terms of messaging, I think we'll be focused a lot on defense. Um, but it's also a good, like I said, we, are, we might be working on a Part B fix. It's also a good time to start laying the seeds for uh, legislation that could pass uh, next session, you know, if the stars align correctly. So... Absolutely. And, and I think you had mentioned earlier, John, the fact that that this Congress uh, is going to have many more frequent recesses uh, this year. I think they're they're working about 117 days this year mm-hmm. um, and taking a big break, uh, an early break in July for much of the summer to allow for for campaigning and uh party conventions and things of that nature, um, there is an interesting opportunity that you mentioned that there are many members of Congress who are retiring and, and new folks who are, are looking to come in and, and represent folks. So that does present an opportunity for, for listeners, not only in, in the region here in D.C., but also around the country to, to work via their, their organizations um, or even individually and, and reaching out to those candidates and letting them know uh, what you think about those topics. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely... Anytime a new member of Congress comes in, there's uh, there's a lot of education to be done there. And you know, somebody who's been who's been around for a long period of time and has heard the message a number of times, you know, hopefully they've picked it up now. Um, but particularly with somebody coming in for the first time, you have a real opportunity to set their views on an issue or you know inform their views on an issue before they get locked into something. So it's a really good time to reach out and and you know if if they're uh, going to talk about an issue or you know you can potentially prompt them to have an issue be something that they discuss you know, on the campaign trail. Um, but, you know, hearing questions from their voters, um, especially for a first time around candidate, can, can influence where they're thinking. Absolutely. Well, we're, we're uh, going to wrap up our, our conversation here for the day. I'd like to thank once again uh, Jessica Clement, the legislative director from NARF, John Hatton, the deputy legislative director from NARF, and Nikki Cannon, the Washington representative from the Professional Managers Association. Thank you all so much for uh, joining us today. I, I feel like this conversation provided a good kind of look back and, and look forward, but but uh, uh, perhaps not as much gloom and doom as we've had in some other conversations, Jesse, especially when you've been on, on the program before. And uh, hopefully that uh, that doom won't come back around uh, somewhere in the next few months. Um, and if it does, we'll, we'll, we'll be sure to have uh, you all back on the program to, to talk about it with us. Let's hope so. Thanks so much for having us, Jason. Yeah, thank you for having it. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Jason. Our pleasure. Well, that's all the time we have for the show today. Thank you for joining us on Fed Talk. Uh, Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a wonderful weekend. <laughs>